0: Welcome to the Dirt Reporters Podcast for the week of January 26th. I'm your host, D-Swab, Derek Kessinger, joined by the editorial staff of Todd Turner, Kevin Kovac, and Big Shot Bob, Robert Holman. Guys, a lot lot to dissect this past weekend at Volusia 1.0 for the Sunshine Nationals, the good, the bad, the ugly, but we got to start off with the good. How about Mac Daddy Dale McDowell winning a feature just four months after he found out he had prostate cancer? That car was dialed in. It was a great story. A lot of shenanigans happened at Volusia, Todd, but to start off, Mac Daddy Dale getting that big win. He said afterwards, he even gave a PSA saying, go check the doc, go see the doctor, get checked out. He told us in the interview, but nonetheless, to seeing him win that race, it was pretty special.
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, we had talked about that before. It's like, oh, that's a great storyline if McDowell uh, were to win. And and indeed before, right, actually, I guess the first person I interviewed when I got there was Shane McDowell, uh, just kind of asking him, you know, how they did in practice and what their thoughts were coming back. And and he, he said that they were, you know, they weren't the greatest the first time out in practice, but he thought they were getting better. Uh, and clearly the, you know, the rest of uh, the, the, the the abbreviated weekend he was able to race he was one of the fastest cars cars on the track and obviously winning that Friday afternoon feature um, you know it, it's a you know some guys can have those those stories and not be able to kind of express it or 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 uh, or it be so meaningful but I think you know Adele was very well liked uh, he he was you know kind of told the story in victory lane in the interview and just you know it's very very touching and special to that group. Uh, you know, you, you know, you face your mortality when you're an older person. You hear the word cancer. You know, no matter no matter how it turns out to be. So it was uh, uh, it was a, it was a remarkable story that he that he came back and hey he's he's on he's on the pole for that makeup feature or he's on the front row for that makeup feature and uh, uh, he's certainly going to be a threat uh, in Volusia here in a couple weeks when they go back for speed week. Yeah, for the makeup
0: feature, he starts in the front row next to Aston Winger, which will be made up the Wednesday of Volusia 2.0 towards the end of Speed Weeks. Robert, I asked him after the race in, his in-, in an interview, when he found out this all happened, did something go into his mind saying, you know what, Dale, are you going to race ever again? He said he was about 85% headed into Volusia. That means the car had to be 115%. That thing was dialed in just talk about that dominant performance by him and did you think maybe that was going to be his last time racing when he found out he had prostate cancer
2: it's it's just so hard to say it definitely it it it's a person's mindset and and a, a more more than anything about what they what they want to do you know and for the mcdowells racing you know it's been their life since I've known them obviously since they were kids and so if you know them at all you also know that they they have a, they play well also, you know, uh, in the off season, they travel together, uh, they, uh, you know, you see them uh, on vacation together. So it's not like, oh, let's just quit racing and, and tour the world now and, and go because of this diagnosis. That's not what I expected. Uh, I don't really know what I expected from, from them, but yes, I did think he would be in a race car again. I I was shocked, I guess that it was this soon. Uh, I wasn't, you know, privy to the diagnosis and all that stuff that, that goes on the, the personal stuff. But for me, it's just a matter of, he was back really quickly, which is awesome. I said it, um, in Fast Talk this week that the the racing world is better when, when Dale McDowell is at the track racing. Uh, and, and I truly believe that. He's an ambassador of the sport who who guys in the pits look up to, who guys, who promoters, you know, he's wore, worn so many hats. He has all this experience that not just users that look up to him, promoters look up to him. Promoters come to him and run things by him and uh, and question you know, should we do this or should we do that? So he's well respected by everyone. So did I think he would be back in a race car? I really did. I think the biggest question for me was how soon would it be? And he answered that when he came back and faster than I really, really anticipated.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people in that pit area thought the exact same thing, Robert, to come back that quickly. It was a good, feel-good story just because, you know, the last two, three years, it seems like we always see this negative news in society. So it was great to see a special moment shared by the McDowells, special moment for dirt late mile racing to see a guy like you said, an ambassador in the sport to make a move and win the first race of the year at Speed Weeks. Kovac, your perspective on it, the track was rough and tumble. That was not a Dale McDowell racetrack. And he came in there going over those Bumps. It didn't even seem like he was bouncing. He had a dialed-in race car.
3: Yeah, it wasn't uh an Eldora Speedway smooth tabletop smooth where he's just like chugging along and and uh, and there he is at the end of the race. You know, like right in the mix, uh, um, because of how smooth he is and how he stays out of trouble and uh, and just has patience. I mean, this one you basically had to be up on the wheel and you really couldn't avoid the the holes that much. I mean, the track was just you know, that new clay was just getting, you know, rougher and rougher as the race and as the day went on, as the race went on. Um, so it's like, you, you can't find some, maybe he could do it a little bit better than someone's cause he was up front. Uh, he didn't have to move around as much. He could try to find that best uh, way around the racetrack, but still, I mean, you were hitting holes, one false move, you're bouncing and cars headed towards the wall or something. So he had to be up on the wheel. And I mean, and he was up on a wheel because look at the way he pulled away. I mean, nobody came up and challenged him when he won that race. And he was just as good in the in qualifying the next day and winning the heat race and, you know, being able to draw the outside pole. So he had a bit tough on that coming off the outside pole in the makeup race. Uh, pretty impressive where, uh, you know, like he said, I mean, he, he, you still got to get yourself back in you know rustiness a little bit uh, after he did win his last race Remember back in September before he had the surgery. So he's actually on a two-race win streak, and uh, pretty pretty cool for 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 Dale. I mean, I, I have to imagine that there wasn't anybody sad to anybody angry to, that that Dale Dale McDowell won that race uh, on on Friday. I'm I'm sure that was a very popular uh, winner amongst everybody in the pits because people uh, most I mean I, I don't hear anything bad said about Dale McDowell. Uh, people always, uh, you know, like what he means to the sport and how long he's been. They ha- he gets that veteran, uh, uh, you know, respect from everyone. Uh, he's not a guy that's getting into people on the racetrack uh, that 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 you see. So, um, a pre- pretty big win, pretty cool moment for uh, for dirt late model racing to start the year off.
0: Yeah, no doubt about that. The Mac Daddy was fast. I think he was the only one really that wanted to continue racing this past weekend. And Kovac, you've been coming to Volusia a long, long time. Those track conditions, I don't think I've ever seen it. I've been going there for 10 years. You've been going there a lot, a lot longer. That was a talk in the pit area. I did my speed week's minute on it saying you could just notice the track wasn't that typical black dirt mud that we always were used to seeing at Volusia. It was kind of a lighter color. A lot of guys said, hey, you know what, we're kind of concerned this stuff's not going to stay packed up, it's kind of loose dirt, and it showed it from the get-go, and it kind of put that uh, whole weekend behind the eight ball. Just your thoughts on that.
3: Yeah, that that's kind of my kind of the, my concern about what they did. My, uh, I guess a problem with what happened is you see – I mean, I wasn't there. You guys – Todd and, and, and Derek, you guys were there, and like you said, you saw the difference. You could look at the racetrack and see that the color of the clay – the dirt was different; it was a lighter color, and so obviously this is different stuff. It's going to be a different uh, consistency than they've had in the past. So, you would think that hey, it's it, things could be. There's going to be some variables thrown in the mix here uh, for them to, to work on this track. I mean, they have capable, more than more than capable track prep people uh, working on that tracks during speed weeks and into into come, but to come into speed weeks, so I think a couple weeks before the event uh before the sunshine nationals they actually put this down and 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 that's a man that, that that's a that's a big concern that should be a big concern for any race track that what's it going to be like when we race you know i mean there's no there hasn't been any laps turned on this track uh you know uh, of consequence maybe there were some hot testing sessions i don't know about that but uh, there wasn't any racing on this track with the uh, 170 nearly 170 cars that were going to be there that, that ended up being there uh, to pound that racetrack for three days in a row. I mean, I would I would want to have that, especially if you have Florida tracks. Not like you have a certain amount of time where you could put clay down a you know new surface down and and uh, before the season starts or after the season ends or anything like that. Like you can't do it in the north. You don't really want to do it in the middle of winter and stuff. So with the weather, but down there you could have had you could have had some races, uh, local races, to try to figure it out. But but I'd, I'd never seen the track like uh, that rough uh i mean there's always been nights at volusia that are just you know those those uh car equipment eaters you know because the track is so fast you get that rain or something and then it becomes just a supersonic racetrack and yeah i mean it's at least one night a year in the last you know more recent times since it hasn't been rubbered up all the time uh, you, you get that when then you hear the car, everybody banging off sheet, banging sheet metal out at the end of the night because it was so difficult, uh, so difficult conditions. But not like this where it's just the whole racetrack seemed like it was you couldn't, you, like I said about McDowell, you couldn't really avoid the rut, the ruts, the rut, It was just tearing apart as the night went on. And and man, it, it's it's. I mean, you, everybody has 2020 20 hindsight, but. Uh, I, you think that they probably, if they're going to have a different clay that they're not even used to working on, they probably should have had something, uh, in advance of that race. That shouldn't have been the first race. Cause you don't want to, uh, be dealing with that. You want to have the thing, the kinks worked out before you come a big show.
0: Yeah. And they were working their asses off all night long, both nights, trying to get that track smoother and smoother. But Todd, I remember me and you high-fiving each other on the way down there, looking at the weather, we're like 75 on Thursday. 72 on friday you know it's gonna be a good night of racing to start off here we get to the pits there's 82 crates 47 supers, and then you have another 40 odd something in the 602 division there was a lot of race cars and then when you get behind that eight ball there with working the racetrack um a lot of hot lap qualifying it just kind of set the stage the entire weekend i mean just just something you can control a little bit but you kind of talked or you kind of heard over with the track prep guys while saying, you know what, if we get a little moisture and stuff like that, which we did Friday, it's going to be a very hard turnaround to keep this track and keep uh, the pace and schedule. So when you're a promoter like that and running that race, it's very tough, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, in hindsight, it was unfortunate that Thursday, which clearly was the best weather day, you know, you couldn't maximize that. Because uh, that's the thing, minus any problems with the track. With that many cars, it was going to be a long night, to kind of get it going. But uh, on top of the the car count, uh, the late hours because of that, trying to keep the track uh, uh, in better shape, you know. And then you bleed into the next day, and then you and then you catch a little rain Friday night. It just was uh, kind of, you know, everything was on top of another. And and I will say, as you guys, they were they were tireless in trying to work and figure this thing out but i just think they 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 knew that they were up against it uh which is too bad as kevin as kevin mentioned i talked to donny Chappelle, one of the local guys there and he was saying the last race of the year which i guess is in november maybe he said it was a you know as good as the track has ever been you know and that's before they they put anything on it so it's unfortunate to go from from you know you know you've got a known quantity of a track uh, and then you go somewhere where you you have to struggle with it, and you can't quite whip it into shape. It was it was a tough weekend, and it's too bad because it was a good field of all the divisions, and uh, um, you know potentially a really good weekend. Um, so it's just it's, it's one of those that you know it's a bad way to start off the year. That's the thing, I guess. You know, if you're in the middle of the year, you just kind of ah, we write that one off and go on. But 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 as you said, Derek, we're going down there looking at seventy-five degree temperatures. We're Kind of pumped up you know, let's get going and and then uh you know it kind of deteriorated from there yeah and we've always
0: have had bad nights whether it's working at dirt on dirt even other racetracks it just happens like that and the off speed weeks you go down there with that great feel to kind of just uh kind of lost your lost a little bit of momentum and kind of you lost a little bit of pump up you know you're just wanting to pump up going there the second and third day but They'll get it figured out. I think they got a lot of racing down there, Volusia 2.0. They'll get a second chance at it. But Robert, you're these rookies. You're headed down there in Florida. You see these track conditions. You see this field. You have guys like Gordy Gundaker and Kyle Hammer who are trying to run for the rookie. They just had dismal starts. As a, you know, a car owner, when you see the track conditions like that, you see how it's going to be. What's that like when you're trying to run a national series like this, kicking off the season? It's got to be. It's got to be a tough, tall task for him
2: it It is difficult for sure and it's uh can get really frustrating really, really fast uh The thing is you know when you're doing this as a rookie, you kind of feel like I have to be out there. I don't have an option of sitting this one out, uh especially you know anybody running for points i don't I don't have the option of of sitting sitting out and saving my equipment, and not only that, I don't have anything to fall back on. So I really need to be out there and give it a hundred and fifteen percent. Not only now am I <clears throat> excuse me, am I at a, a racetrack that is uh treacherous, but you know, I'm really behind already before I left the shop behind. It's an it's an unknown entity. So for those guys, uh you have to feel equally or or even more so, you have to really feel bad for those guys because they want to get off to a good start and let's face it, it's almost impossible uh, to under those conditions when you've got 40 other guys out there many of which have, have not only experienced the track, you know, good thing about some of those Midwestern guys, I've been to some of those Midwestern tracks that, uh, and it's been kind of like jumping cornfields, but I, I don't. And so, you know, They probably are familiar with driving in conditions like that. But the thing about that is the track is so fast and some of those track, some of those ruts were so deep. It didn't matter what kind of experience that you had in those conditions. It wasn't really going to, it wasn't going to help you down there. I, I, I likened it to that old game pitfall, you know, for the Sega or whatever back in the day or for the Atari, they needed a rope to swing across. They needed a rope to swing across some of those holes. And the the thing is, you know, like that game pitfall, it had alligators down there. Remember, so they could have they could have easily had alligators in is in those holes down there. in some of them, you know, some of them might have had, especially at Volusia, which is that close to the gator pond back there. Some of those gators could have snuck across overnight and, you know, snuggled up in some of those holes. You never know what, although. Think about it. Hoosier on the back of a gator coming out of those holes. Great traction. I think I heard uh, uh, Hudson O'Neill said that that the traction was in the holes, which we know that that's where the moisture is, but maybe the traction was in the holes because there was a gator or two down there. I don't know.
0: Yeah, Robert, maybe we'll see some gators down there later for Volusia 2.0. I can say, though, I went around the pond this past weekend, did not see any Gators. So maybe they're just waiting for the Gator Nationals. But that's in the rearview mirror. Congrats to Mac Daddy. Big win. We'll see you guys in a month down there in Barberville. We're headed to Golden Isles to continue the speed weeks, more like speed months. And Ocala will be on Monday and Tuesday. Robert, you have a good history there at GIS. How pumped are you for this weekend, and what are you looking for?
2: I'm uh, uh I'm excited to get back down there. For, for starters, it's really cold here at home, uh. so I'm excited to get back down there. So the first thing I did was, uh, of course, I look up the weather, and, and I see that it's going to be, like over there where we stay, it's going to be a paltry high of like 48 degrees on Saturday. What's that about? I'm not really sure, but uh, I'm not really sure it's going to be much warmer down there than it is uh, here in Tennessee, but... Uh, I'm definitely looking to, uh, forward to getting down there and getting this uh, Lucas Oil season kicked off. I'm really anxious to see really how, who shows up, who's who is kind of going to throw their hat officially in the, in the ring here and say, I'm running for points. I think that's kind of been one of the topics of the offseason uh, from a lot of different people that I've spoken with in terms of with all the money and, and all the variety of events that are out there coming up in 2022. A lot of people aren't really sure who's running for what. A lot of people, and, and sometimes, we, you know, we still don't have answers when we leave Speed Week. Sometimes it's even March 1st of April before we really have definitive answers about who's running for this championship. And so I don't think we'll leave Golden Isles with those answers, but at least we'll have clues. At least we'll have a better idea of what to expect. So that's one thing I'm also looking forward to, uh, to catching up with, uh, um, with Kyle Bronson and, uh, his fiance, Amber, uh, you know, they've acquired the racetrack in the off season. Uh, you know, she's, uh, very ties there, of course, through family, uh, to golden isles already. And so I'm looking to see how that's going and, and see how they, uh, basically feel about this first big weekend it's like imagine you go and you purchase something and the the first time you open the swing the door is open it's like your biggest event of the year that's kind of what they're going to be going through uh, so i'm in, interested in catching up with them uh those are just a few of the kind of side notes that i'm looking for aside from the racing itself
0: yeah you mentioned kyle bronson he purchased gis in the off season and i talked to him at Volusia. He said, driver this weekend, next weekend going to be a track owner. But he guaranteed me one thing, that cushion is going to be very, very big. So, obviously, KB is looking forward to that. I don't know if he was serious or not, but he does love those cushions. Kobach Lucas Oil's kicking off their season Thursday, Friday, and Saturday in Brunswick. What are your notes and nuggets you're looking forward to, bud?
3: Oh, I mean, just we're going to see, like like uh, like Robert kind of mentioned, How's this How's this season and how's the roster of the Lucas Oil Series going to shape up this year? I mean, there's already, obviously, Josh Richards is not with the tour anymore. And it looks like Jonathan Davenport, it won't be running. I mean, unless he has some change of heart, looks like he's just running a, a few races during speed weeks like this weekend. Uh, and, and that's going to be it. No East Bay. So he's not chasing the championship, uh, which he's now, this is what, since eight, He's been a regular. I mean, it's 17, and I mean that's only seven from since 2015. Uh, I guess you could say he's been a regular. Other than that one year when he drove, uh, you know, the Barry Wright House car, and he also drove the G. R. Smith. You know, after after he uh, didn't go any more full time with uh, the K. L. Rumley car. Uh, so I mean, that's that's a, that's two pretty big names that'll shake up the, the atmosphere a little bit there. Maybe Shane Clanton also too. It looks like he's gone over to the world of outlaws. Uh, I mean again but shane clanton will probably run every race and maybe decide at the end of speed weeks which one he's running but it does look like this year he does have a chance uh of more of making the outlaws his choice because remember last year he, he didn't start off the year uh running those first couple outlaw races because he had covid and he was in the hospital and just gotten out so uh he was behind the eight ball and he ended up just staying with uh uh with um Lucas all series. instead of going when the outlaws, which is teammate Tyler Brunig runs, So I, I would think that the Brunig team would want to have uh Shane with them and make it uh you know, have them both going down the road together with those capital cars. So that that's the main thing I'm kind of really looking at, like, see what's going to happen here with, uh, with that roster. I know there'll be some new guy, a new guy would be Spencer Hughes uh, going for rookie this year. I mean, that's a pretty good addition for, for that, for the Lucas all series uh I mean that's a that's a really young up and coming kid and with a good team PCC Motorsports and and he's ready to make his uh uh first attempt at the Lucas Oil series so uh keep an eye on him I think that's a that's a that's a guy he's going to win he's going to win a race or two this year I, I I think I mean he he was knocking on the door last year since he got in that thing and, and that car and and he's going to be a guy to watch uh so that that's that's what I'm sort of looking for here and uh as we get started
0: yeah, it's funny you guys are mentioning the points already, who's running what series and whatnot. I always look forward to seeing the guys that are just going to run all of speed weeks, guys like Garrett Smith, uh, Devin Moran, Brian Shirley. They haven't really committed to anything, but they're like, you know what? Let's head to Florida for a month, have some fun. Let's get some races in. Hopefully get some uh, testing and tune in a little bit and win some races. So it's good to see guys like that who just come kind of are independent throughout the entire speed weeks, so not really racing for points. Todd. We look at GIS, and I feel like it kind of has a special place in your heart because we kind of talked about it on the way from Louisville to Barberville. Golden Isles kind of put dirt on dirt on the map there back in 2009, I believe, when they had that 10 for 10, $10, $10,000 in 10 days down there. It kind of got you guys subscribers, and it kind of uh, kicked off what dirt on dirt was going to be a little bit.
1: Yeah, uh, actually 2008, but but yeah, that was uh, uh, kind of a – when you look back on it, it it, it was, uh, it seems crazy. It, it would have fit in well this year with all the crazy scheduling and big money going on. But uh, Golden Isle started off that season with 10 races over, I guess, 12 days or something. They started on a Wednesday and ran all the way through the following weekend uh, ahead of East Bay. And, uh, and it was, um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was a learning experience uh, for us at Dirt on Dirt as we were just getting the hang of it. But that was, of course, the day before, days before anybody was streaming, uh, the internet itself wasn't that great there, so there wasn't a whole lot of news coming out of there. So we, uh, we, we certainly uh, look back on that as uh, you know, I've been to Golden Isles many times over the years. Uh, before that, it was of course that huge 5 mile over for a while, super high speed. Uh, so um, I guess in the mid 2005 or something is when they shrank it to the the current or similar to the current size it is now but uh uh an interesting history at golden isles it's it has kind of uh of all the georgia tracks i guess it's kind of uh etched its place in georgia speed georgia florida speed weeks more than others and and now with kyle bronson i'm sure he'll want to make this event uh good this year and in years to come even if he won't uh uh make sure that the low groove is working very well. I predict he he might he might favor the high side a little bit there, as you said with the cushion. But uh, um, yeah, it, it's uh, I'm looking for some uh, some of those new guys too. Uh, uh, I mentioned uh, Ross Robinson uh, said at uh, Volusia that there's a chance he might be able to to make a run at Lucas Oil if he gets enough sponsorship. Uh, he's got a couple things cooking. He's not sure it's going to work out, but uh, that could be another guy, and he plans on being it as many speed weeks races as he can he was at belusia and and plans on running throughout so uh, yeah with uh him and hughes uh cody overton some of those guys coming on it'll be interesting to see who the who the regulars are as we go to Golden miles and then ocala and then all
0: yeah gis has a rich history i've been going there for eight or nine years now just the improvements they made on the racetrack they got the bleachers from the, the daytona backstretch Seems like it's getting nicer, ni- nicer every single year. But Robert, you had uh, one quick story from Golden Isles. Let's make it, you know, not too long here.
2: The first time I went to, to Golden Isles was was thirty years ago. It was nineteen ninety three, and you always remember uh, those uh, unique places and and special places. And you know, I, I was twenty two years old at the time, and I'll admit that I will never ever forget this first trip to uh to to golden isles because it in the whole thing involved a a hall of fame driver it involved a a controversy a controversial finish which we all love right uh it involved late night at denny's and uh it also involved a 13 dollar hotel room on jekyll island so you know when you when you mix all those together clearly it's an unforgettable experience but even as as good as my fading memory still is i had to call that hall of fame driver ronnie johnson and say hey refresh my memory and make sure i've got this right i want to make sure that i remember the facts on this deal right so it's it's 93 uh the girl that i was dating at the time worked for holiday inn and so she could get basically rooms at any Holiday Inn for $13 as long as there was a vacancy. So I see this, uh, this race pop up, you know, you're getting the trade papers and stuff. So I, I know that there's a Southern All-Star race on in late January uh, at, at, uh, at Brunswick at, at uh, Golden Isles. So I'm like, hey, see if you can get us a room. There's a Holiday Inn over there. See if you can get us a room, and let's just go down there because it's crazy cold in Cookville where I was living at the time. Let's see if we can go. So she uh, she gets us a room, gets us two nights on on Jekyll Island at the Holiday Inn, 13, 13 bucks a night, which you can't beat. We head down, go to the race. I go the race. She didn't actually even go. And it was kind of – I remember it was kind of an afternoon, early evening show. And Ronnie Johnson wins this race. And – Without a doubt, in my mind, Ronnie Johnson wins this race. So I go to get the. I, I might have been actually writing for um, one of those trade papers at the time. So I might have been faxing the story in myself. So I go to get the rundown. <clears throat> I go to get the finish. And they don't let me back in the press box. I'm like, what's going on? Well, they're not sure who won the race. And I'm like, well, Ronnie, Ronnie Johnson won the race. And they're like, well, we don't know. Uh, Mike McCarter who is a a local driver from from uh Mike Mike Carter not McCarter but Mike Carter who is a a local driver down there in, in southern Georgia mm-hmm. apparently if if anybody remembers he also ran a black number 5 a car a black car with a 5 on it so i do remember that during this race Ronnie Johnson had to pit Because I'm, you know, again, if I was just a casual fan, I might have been like, wait, isn't Ronnie Johnson a lap down or what's going on here? But I was keeping notes and I was actually kept uh, lap by lap notes. It was only a 30 lap race. And when the way I used to keep lap by lap notes in a notebook, I would, if it's a 30 lapper, I'd number one through 30. And then if anything significant happened on that lap, I would write it down. If uh, the way I used to kind of shorthand is uh, if it was a, say, Ronnie Johnson, and Scott Bloomquist were battling for the lead on lap 25. I would and they were side by side, I would just put 18 equals 5. Or or if eight, if Scott Bloomquist passed Ronnie Johnson on on lap 25, I would put 18 and put an arrow and then put 5, so saying Scott Bloomquist passed Ronnie Johnson. But here we have a pair of 5s and I remember Ronnie Johnson pitting under a caution. And I wasn't 100% sure why he pitted so that is why i actually reached out to ronnie johnson this morning i wanted to know hey why did you pit what refresh my memory he said he thought and you if anybody knows ronnie johnson you know that he's got as good a memory as any racer you'll come across he remembers this stuff so he's like i think uh it was a tire issue he either had a flat tire or he had folded he had hit one of those tractor tires that were buried and folded the nose under and he couldn't steer so he either had to either had to change the left front tire or he had a a tire steering issue. And so he says he goes in and pits, and when he comes back out to the, you know, at the time, uh, 30 years ago, everybody pitted in the infield. So he says he comes back out to the turn one entrance to go into the track there, and they don't let him on the track because the field is taking the green as he comes by. He says they take the green and come by, and he pulls out behind them. Cars fall out, and he works his way back up there. And I remember five equals five, five arrow five. I remember that in my notes. He passed Mike Carter and took the lead, and he won the race. So I go into the little press box to get the rundown, and they're like, well, we're having a meeting right now. You can't have that. And I also remember vividly I told my girlfriend uh, at the time, this race will not be that long. It's an early afternoon show. It's a well, it's a mid-afternoon show. I'll be back and we'll go out to dinner. 45 minutes later, as they're trying to decide who won the race, I'm sitting there looking at the clock, thinking, I'm a liar. We're not gonna go, there's not gonna be anything open on Jekyll Island when I get back there. So they finally come out, and I look back through some other notes, and Ronnie Johnson, January 30th, nineteen ninety. is the winner of that Southern All-Stars race. And they did not have a clue. They first told me Carter won it, and I'm like, but he didn't win it. Look at my – I've got it lap by lap right here. He didn't win. And Ronnie's like, all I know is Mike Carter might disagree, but they paid me. They they paid me as the winner of that race. Uh, And and he told me today, actually, I never knew this, he told me today that he had heard – that they also paid Mike Carter for winning that race. So I'm not sure if that's true or not, and he's not 100% sure if that's true or not, but a pair of black number fives, a controversy. I get back to Jekyll Island where we were staying, and uh, my girlfriend was asleep at the time, and we go to an all-night Denny's there on Jekyll Island for our dinner that was right there on the, overlooking the, the water, it was right there on the beach. So that was my first time 30 years ago I'll never forget the first time at at Golden Isles Speedway. I I do hope that this visit this coming weekend is a lot less controversial. I I don't want to. And also, Golden Isles is where I first ever, my first ever in 2001 is the first time I met Chris Madden. So uh, I don't know if that's meaningless, but I just remember having a conversation with Madden over the summer. And I'm like, listen, I think Madden thought I was like 28, you know, and i'm like chris i'm older than you you don't even remember the first this is back in the summer i'm like you don't even remember the first time we met and he's you know scratching his head and i'm like it was golden isles man you were just a young pup i met you at golden isles in 2001 he goes, oh so i had to add a little credibility to to myself I'm so Madden wouldn't think i'm a rookie out here on the circuit you know trying to cover these races you know but anyway golden isles stories right there and uh I hope to have some more great Golden Isle stories after this weekend, just not any controversial ones. We don't need that. Yeah, call me
0: shocked that there was actual, actually controversy in a race in Georgia. But you know what? We'll just let it slide there. I'm sure you had fun there. And luckily, we don't have time restraints on this podcast, Robert. That was a great story. I love listening to the detailed events that happened there. Kovac, really quick, just give us a little note about Ocala. You've been going there a long time because of the World of Outlaws and stuff like that. What's kind of, what are uh, you looking forward to Ocala? Just really quick.
3: Yeah, I like Ocala. That's uh it's it's definitely like the sh- most unique shaped racetrack that you'll that's that'll have a speedweeks race. I mean that that basically that that egg that egg shape sort of you know the third and first and second turns definitely different than third and fourth turns it's got the dog leg on the back stretch it's it's really a d it's it really is like what you'd call the d-shaped track and um and i mean the cars carry some really good speed through that through that dog leg and there's some usually some action back there that happens and and as long as the tracks you know it doesn't doesn't rubber i mean like you say that about every racetrack it's usually some pretty good race in there and uh, you know, you got some paved pits there too, since it was an asphalt track in the past and not, I don't know. So I've, I've always liked the Ocala, you know, Bubba Raceway Park. And, you know, obviously that's the name, but, uh, it's, it's, it's got a good, good little feel to it. I, I mean, the, the, the place is nice. It's, uh, I've seen some good races there too. I, uh, uh, last year the racing wasn't spectacular, but I remember that one where John, Jonathan Davenport got sideways and spun it leading the race and took out Jimmy Owens and Brandon Shepard too. I mean, like that was, well, man, talk about some big guys getting knocked out in one wreck, you know, and because of uh, you, that you would never expect uh, that with uh, Davenport just losing control, going into the corner. That was just one that was weird, you know? Uh but, you know, I, it, it should be the same. I mean, I'm, I mean, I would expect the same that as long as they get that track work, that's a track that they seem like they really got to work it and make sure that track is worked. And, and the surface ends up being uh, uh racy enough for, for some good stuff to happen. And uh, you know, last year there was some, I mean, it was, I think I remember it was Ricky Thornton Jr. Won one and Shane Clanton won the other Lucas race, but it was so cold. That I'm just here, yeah, Robert, hopefully it won't be as cold as last year because man was that was a, that was some, that's some of the coldest nights in, in speed weeks, Florida speed weeks history that I can remember, man, I had, man, man, I had my winter coat pulled up and I was standing on a hill in the infield with the wind was whistling. And I'm like, man, this is a, this is very, very cold after we had just, uh, you know, had some really nice days at East Bay most of the week. So, um, so be ready for that there, Robert. Hopefully it won't be like that, but uh it's possible. So uh but yeah, it lo- like looks like it could be I, I, again, it'll be a, it'll be some good racing, I think, at uh, at O'Cala.
2: I'll make sure that I uh I pack plenty of, of warm clothes, uh Kevin.
3: Yep, yeah you get well full when you go to Speed Weeks basically you just throw everything in there. It's not like you could just throw shorts or something. Yeah, uh, you know, we're not you're not going to Nebraska in July here. This is like every kind of uh, weather, weather to you, any kind of climate, any kind of condition you can imagine, it's possible in Florida. So you gotta be ready for it. Yeah,
0: well, Kyle, I just remember that race with J.D. I think Ricky Thornton won that night, but he also took out Brian Shirley on the way to get that win. So that night there was very uh, chaotic, to say the state least. And uh, I think we can preview. All Tech next week on the show next week. So we can get to that for the show next week. Um, but kind of a the theme of the show was Dale McDonald's comeback story and kind of looking back in the history of a few things, a few different drivers with a great comeback. Todd, what's kind of a story, feel-good story, where you saw this guy kind of back against the wall and he comes out and maybe gets a big win or kind of extends his career a little bit? Any comebacks come to mind?
1: Yeah, I got a story. back. It's hard to hard to imagine how this is twenty five years ago, but uh, it's a sad story, but but uh, but also a great comeback story. So Terry English, the the Western Kentucky driver, um, there was an accident May third, nineteen eighty nineteen ninety seven, uh, there in Glasgow, Kentucky. Uh, a car went off the backstretch, and where they were pitted, the car actually went into their pit area, uh, and 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 injured several several people. Uh, broke uh, Terry English's hip and pelvis among other injuries. Uh and then his crew chief Terry Egner uh actually died at a Glasgow hospital there. It was a horrific accident and very devastating for that tight knit team as you might imagine. Um but of course Terry, you know determined to keep racing. He was um you know at a hospital bed in his living room trying to recover over months. But by September, late September, he decided he was going to start racing again. And he went up to Brownstown for the Hoosier Dirt Classic. And he could, he could, as they told me, he could barely get in the car. And he remembers trying to steer and drive, but his his leg would fall off the brake pedal because he was so he he had he had very little strength and such. But he still went out there and raced, and he finished sixth that night. Actually, C.J. Rayburn, incidentally, won that Hoosier Dirt Classic in '97. But within just a week or two later, Terry uh went back home to his his tracks at Kentucky Lake and Paducah and won uh at both those tracks before the season was over. Just uh, I guess four or five months uh after the accident. And uh it's uh you know, and Terry went on, I guess in ninety eight to win twenty-nine races and of course went on to win the dirt car title, went on to run the summer nationals and win many, many races after that. But that season is certainly uh one that they they won't forget it's being uh for the loss of terry egner and then uh and then terry's come back to be able to race again after uh really certainly his career was in doubt and his uh um just just it took a lot for him to recover and he was really never the same for a while i mean it took a took a long time and you might notice you know i guess i believe he had to have uh i've had a hip replacement surgery after that i believe that that was what the plan was uh, and so for even a few years after that, you could tell when he, when he moved around a little bit, that, that hip would still trouble him a little bit, but, but Terry, you know, the English family, you know, being a Kentuckian and seeing him race, uh, when he was a young man, uh, and now of course, Tanner racing, it's, uh, it's a family that's been kind of near and dear to me. And, uh, and I enjoyed writing that story. Uh, although it was a very tough story to write and tough story for some of those, uh, the family members and crew to talk about, but yeah, that was a great comeback story for sure.
0: Heck yeah. That's a phenomenal one. I honestly didn't even know about that, Todd. So thanks for sharing. No doubt. Horrific. Um, but Terry bounced back, like you said, and continued to race a little bit. Now he cruised for his son Tanner and, uh, mine's going to be, I mean, I'm going to say it, I think it was 2010. can key summer nationals. I was helping out Jeff Curl. And, of course, you go watch the late models every time. And all of a sudden, it's like two laps into the race, I'd say. And Kevin Weaver, he just, like, flies in the infield. They like can't get key. And you're, like, thinking, well, what the hell is going on? Well, you know, reports are saying they think that, you know, Kevin kind of had, like, heart complications. And you're thinking to yourself, well, he's older towards his career, stuff like that. You never want to see anybody, you know, A, have something like that, and B, just in his career so abruptly because he, he was still okay, whatever. Well. Come to find out, he had 90% blockage in his heart during the Summer Nationals in, uh, in one of his arteries. So he has a uh, put in. They go up his leg and stuff like that. And 10 days later, he uh, raced at Charleston. I think he finished like 12th or 13th. Obviously, he didn't win, you know, coming back, but it kind of prolonged his career a little bit. I think from like 2011 to maybe 2018, it was probably one, arguably one of his better years if you're looking at the his later part of his career so it prolonged that got to see him race more and more but he also had a PSA like Dale McDowell said in the summer nationals many when he came back to Charleston kind of saying hey you know what you need to go to the doctor if you think something's wrong you know we're kind of like racers we don't like going to the doctor but if you think something's going to happen go check it out so he got it checked out and you know saw that there was blockage and stuff like that he was kind of failing the scans and stuff like that So. That one's obviously close to me because I'm a huge Weaver guy. But just to see him fly in the infield at Kankakee Race ten days later after uh you know a little stint put in his arteries, it's kind of crazy that these racers are just tough son of a guns and continue racing his career. So that's a uh, always the one good comeback story for me. So Kovac, what do you got, buddy?
3: Well, I got one too of uh well, it's a modified guy turned late model guy, but it's Tim McCready. Uh, obviously, I know I've, I've seen him race his entire career from when he started with uh, Modified. And, and and you remember back in 2009, January of 2009, he flipped a midget at the Chili Bowl right, and went out of the ballpark there, landed on the concrete floor and came down hard and, uh, and fractured a, a vertebrae uh, in his back. And that had him out. I mean, and at that point, you remember, like, he, he had just won the Chili Bowl a few years before that. In the previous year, he had run a little bit of he had. Didn't run a whole season of, of of late models because he had been running some uh, NASCAR stuff with that Richard Childress deal he had for ARCA and in, in, uh, Xfinity Series. He came back at the end of the year to the late model in 2008, and he won several, right? Jackson 100, Knoxville. I mean, he he had a heck of a run at the end of the year and so he's going into 2009 feeling pretty good about his late model program then he fractures his vertebrae at the chili bowl he's out probably he's going to be out for an extended period of time he had stated he wasn't married at that point he was uh he just basically lived at his parents house uh in watertown new york for you know i think it was about four months five months to recover he had to wear a brace for a lot of that time uh finally in june He's going to make his return he took some practice laps up there to track uh, near watertown and uh, got ready to go back in the sweeteners plus car makes his return at ash for an outlaw race i mean it kind of fit good where he comes back at tracks that he was it was the the northern swing of the world of outlaws that year so his first race back was us in ontario didn't qualify had a bad luck i mean two flat tires broke a rear run in the b main uh, and, and he didn't make it but then the next two nights were tracks that he'd run quite a bit with his uh, 358 modified, a small block modified in his career. Cornwall up in in Ontario and uh, Can-Am, right above his house in Watertown, New York. And he finished his second in both of them. Uh, Pretty good runs, uh, back on track. And I I remember Rick Eckert won the race at Can-Am and Eckert was basically apologizing to the crowd for winning that race over McCready because he knew McCready was the hometown guy people were so many people were there to see him back in a car. Uh, so he was like, man, I'm sorry, but you know, but I'm like, uh, he, I think Eckert even said something like, well, I, I think Timmy will be all right. I'm a friends with Timmy and he'll, he, he's not too mad that I won the race, but it's good to see him back. So then a couple of days later, the race is at Canandaigua, New York, which is the track where McCready actually ran his first ever competitive laps in a modified in '96. The track that his father, Barefoot Bob, dominated for years and years. Um, another place where, where Timmy had won uh, several races before he went late model racing, and uh, and here he is back at his home track for a World of Outlaws race, and he wins. And that it just fourth fourth race out from his back injury, he wins at his home track the place where he started his career uh and his father bob was there it's the first time his father bob had ever seen, he wasn't racing at that point anymore he'd been out of the seat out for like four years um, but so he hadn't gone that many races first time his father bob had ever seen timmy win a world of outlaws race and you can imagine the crowd in the pit and in, in the you know victory lane and the pits afterwards uh Uh, And I remember Rick Eshelman also, the announcer, saying to Bob McCready during an interview, he says, man, you've got 99 career wins at Canandaigua uh, uh, and modified a big block modified. And then Bob says, well, now I got 100, you know, because, uh, you know, he was counting Timmy's win there. And and, and so I thought that was a that was pretty, pretty neat little, uh, you know, extra uh, emotion for that night there for for Timmy to win in front of his father. One, One quick postscript, though. After the that was first, after he wins that race, Timmy goes to the Firecracker 100 at Lernerville that following week. That was when Lernerville was only a Friday-Saturday show, so they uh, had qualifying heats on Friday night. McCready flips. <laughs> he he ends up getting sideways off of the fourth turn, gets tangled up with, ironically, his teammate Sweeteners Plus teammate Vic Coffey, gets pushed over, rolls it twice, and you talk about having like I mean everybody is like oh my they're they kind of their heart come up into their throat there because fifth race back for Timmy and he's flipping after a back injury. So you're like, man, come on, Timmy, get out of that car, be all right. And he did get out and and his back was uh, okay. And like I guess he he didn't need to test it like that, but it was definitely recovered after that. But I just that was a little postscript. But what a good comeback, fourth time fourth time out after being out for five months and you win at your uh, home track. Uh, pr- pretty neat memory for me there.
0: Yeah, I don't think you can beat that one, Kovac. Uh, a, that wreck was pretty nasty at the Chili Bowl to win at the hometown. Hometown hero, pretty much. Back in that big win. He's always a wheel man. So, glad he got to prolong his career, which could have been a career-ending injury. And it's always good to see a good comeback story. But we'll finish off with one more thing. Robert, we'll start with you. What do you got, man?
2: My one more thing is is actually uh, kind of a, a historical piece, and I'm glad that uh, Kevin just mentioned Vic Coffee. Actually, uh, my first, actually my second trip to Golden Isles was in 2001, and I, I mentioned that I'd met, uh, I'd mentioned that I met Chris Madden down there, and of course I'm sure I met a bunch of other folks down there. But racing down there on that particular week were Vic Coffee. Danny Johnson and Jack Hewitt was down there racing a, uh, a CJ Raven car that happened to have a Dodge motor. So uh, that is, that's just uh, I love looking back at history and saying it's even stuff you don't remember. And you look back through your notes and you're like, Oh really? That happened then. And, and it kind of ties stuff together. So uh, it's kind of a, a one more thing. Hist- oh, and by the way, uh, Dale McDowell, Dennis Herb, Jr. Earl Pearson, Jr. Ronnie Johnson and Brian Burkoffer, five five prominent racers, failed to make the race down there uh, that year in two thousand one. Those are guys that that didn't make the show. I think it was a UDTRA show, but that was uh, kind of my my one more thing in a in a little little bag there for you guys to digest. I, I think that's always interesting when we look back through our notes and and think about things that we uh, completely forgot you know, over the years.
0: I love the historical one more thing, Robert. My uh, one more thing is are we gonna see a guy come into Speed Weeks and dominate? Maybe win like four or five like we saw Shepard a couple of years back? Or are we gonna see are we gonna see a guy like or even like last year, just this parody where we see ten different winners in the first ten nights. So that'll be very uh intriguing to watch and see if some guy can come out of Speed Weeks dominate like we saw Shepard a few years back or we kind of see a whole bunch of different guys winning. I kind of like the whole b- whole bunch of different guys winning. Uh, provides great storylines. So we'll have to uh, make sure we uh, check that out through the entirety of
1: Speed Weeks. Todd, what do you got? Well, this was announced uh, back in December, I guess. But uh, Lucas Oil has a bonus program for Speed Weeks with Ag Protect One sponsoring it. Uh, and they're paying out uh, big bucks if somebody can get on a hot streak uh, among the 14 Lucas Oil races. Uh, actually paying 200,000 if someone can sweep them all, 100,000 if somebody can win 10 and 20,000 if somebody can win 8. Um and you may not have heard much about this or got not got much buzz about it in part because this is going to be a very difficult task. Uh in the past uh, Lucas Oil Speed Weeks, nobody's won more than four races. Uh, of course they got 14 this year, so there's a, there's, a, there's a bigger chance, but if somebody wants 8 of 14, um in my opinion, they deserve more than $20,000 because that's going to be quite an accomplishment. Uh, so great that they're doing this bonus program, but I think they might want to might want to adjust exactly how it pays out because uh, uh, winning eight races of those 14 would uh, clearly put you uh, in the stratosphere uh, of the Speed Weeks drivers. Yeah, and if that happens,
0: somebody can win all the races. I'll throw in an extra $100 towards the bonus. So I'll be $200,000. And one hundred dollars. So people listening to home, I got faith in you drivers. Somebody can do it possibly. Kovac will finish off with you. One more thing. What do you have for us?
3: Well, I'm throwing a happy birthday wish out to our, our boy Chubb Frank up there Chubb in Zilla. Western PA. Chubb Zilla turned his he, he hit celebrated his 60th birthday on January twenty second. Uh, i sent him a text and just said hey happy 40th chubb and he's like Haha, lol you know so uh, but it looked like they had a nice big bash or you know a, a good family bash for uh for chubb uh over at the one star bar i mean hopefully everybody checked out the, the video from last year's rotel door or the visit that chet christner made to the one star bar there right outside of the shop which is a yeah, the the bar is literally shaped like his one star number. There's all little race cars inside the bar top, and his uniforms, and it's really a neat little, really a neat bar, and it's a very popular bar too for that area. Everybody always wants to come hang out with Chubb, and and I saw that there were pictures. They had a little birthday uh, party for him, his family, and then friends. So. uh Hopefully he had a good time with that. And I'm I'm sure a lot of Bush Light was drank during that. Unfortunately unfortunately Boom was not there for it because he was uh racing. But uh it was a it was a big night for Chubb, big milestone uh, age there for Chubb. So uh happy birthday, Chubzilla. Happy birthday, Chubb
0: Frank. And also I can see why it's a popular bar because Colby Richmond, a fresh faced young twenty year old, said there's nothing they do up there. So I'm guessing that's why that bar is so popular. Is he said he had to drive like an hour to find a decent restaurant. So Colby's just getting used to that uh, PA life. So I thought that was a pretty good note there, kind of leaning in with the one-star bar. I want to go see it someday. So happy birthday to Chubb. Well, guys, Speed Weeks is going to continue. Thanks for everybody listening at home. We'll be back next week talking about GIS and Ocala preview and the rest of Speed Weeks. Hopefully we get some uh, dramatic storylines, dramatic finishes, good races. All going to be on Dirt on Dirt, full Speed Weeks coverage, stories, the minute, race day, highlights, gelatin side bites, everything, one lap, one beer. It's going to be a great time. You can catch it all at DirtOnDirt.com. We'll see you guys next week.